In the book, The Power of Prayer and Fasting, author Ronnie Floyd writes, the answer to our spiritual crisis will not be found in the ballot box, but in the prayer closet. I think this past week after Super Tuesday and uh, then yesterday's uh, primaries in five different states, many of God's people around the country are getting kind of concerned about how this election is going both on the Republican and Democrat side. But I think it might be a reminder to us that we need to be praying more. Praying for God to give us direction and guidance. And we may need to fast. I want to start with a little story this morning. This is a make-believe story, but in some ways not really make-believe. So I'm telling the story as if it were real. And I hope you'll get the point. My pastor preached a message about fasting. And I decided, maybe I should try that. So on Monday morning, I went down to Remus Coffee Shop to get coffee. That's all I was going to get is coffee. But as I looked around, I noticed this really good-looking cinnamon roll with uh, walnuts on top. It just looked so good. So I bought one. I thought, well, I'll start fasting at lunchtime. (laughs) Before I left Rima's that day, I got to looking around at other things and I noticed this uh, dessert called uh, chocolate flan. And oh, it just looked and smelled so good. So I bought one of those. And I decided I'll wait and fast at supper time. So supper time drew close. And I began looking around the house for a prayer closet like Jesus talks about in the preceding verses here in Matthew 6. Go into my prayer closet and be alone with God and I could fast. So I started walking around the house and looking at all the closets that usually have clothes and everything in them, and they were full of clothes and full of shoes and some laundry that needed to be done. So I decided I can't meet in those little closets, but maybe I could go to our pantry. So I opened the door to the pantry. This isn't mine, by the way. I opened the door to the pantry, and here's this room full of food. And I thought to myself, this isn't going to work. (laughs) To try fasting, saying no to food in a pantry would kind of be foolish. That was my thinking. So I still haven't tried fasting yet. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. No, that's my story. Today in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to touch on the subject of fasting. Very few American Christians have even heard about it, let alone have practiced it. Jesus directly connects it here in verses 16 to 18 with the practice of prayer in the preceding verses. We're going to realize today that fasting is a discipline that many of God's people in the Bible practiced. And even though it's not a command in the New Testament to fast, 
While it's not a command for 21st century believers, it is a God-honoring way to say no to something temporary in order to connect with saying yes to something eternal. To awaken to God the Holy Spirit in us. To make space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work His power in and through us. And to become more in tune with the voice of the Lord. We heard that song playing earlier in the service today. For God to speak to us through His Word and through the ministry of prayer. We're going to consider today the what, when, why, and how of biblical fasting. Look again at verse 16 with me. It's a brief text, but it's very important. And whenever you fast... Jesus knows full well as He gives this sermon on the mountain that the Jewish people were already into the practice of fasting. He already knew they were going to be fasting. And so He uses that word when or whenever. Not if you fast, but when you do. But for us today, we're going to start with the question, what is fasting? You see, fasting was a very common form of spiritual discipline throughout the ancient world and in various religions. But God's people Israel practiced fasting from the time of Moses onward. In fact, Moses, interestingly, fasted twice for 40 days each time. No food, no liquids. I have to tell you, that's a miracle from God. Medical people would tell us, while you might be able to avoid food for 40 days, you can't avoid liquids for 40 days, especially water. You need that. But Moses did it twice. But he's not the only Old Testament saint who practiced fasting. So did Daniel. So did King David. Sometimes uh, a public fast was called for by Jewish leaders And they did it for a number of reasons. One would be to petition God to hold off a calamity or to avoid war or to ask God not to punish the people for their sins personally or nationally. But interestingly, when we study fasting in the Old Testament, it was always connected with prayer. Always. Sometimes by confession of sin personal or national. And it also included often the reading of God's holy word. Let me give you one example of that from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. The people of Israel had gone back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in chapter 9, verses 1 to 3 of Nehemiah, it says, On the 24th day of the month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting, in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So in those daylight hours, they took about three hours to read God's Word as a people and then confess 
the greatness of God and worship the Lord their God. That's just a, a quick overview of Old Testament fasting. But what about fasting in the New Testament? Well, we find out, first of all, that the Apostle Paul, while he was still called Saul, and was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians and put them in jail or have them executed for their cult faith, he met Jesus Christ on that road. His eyes were blinded. He was led back to the nearest city, and there he fasted for three days while unable to see. He neither ate food nor drank liquids, according to Acts chapter 9, verse 9. In the early church, they also fasted and prayed for uh, the sending out of missionaries. Acts chapter 13, verse 3, the Holy Spirit told them, separate me to me, uh, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. And so the people separated them, dedicated them to the Lord, and they fasted and prayed that God would use them in mighty ways, and God did. Most importantly, Jesus Himself fasted. For 40 days before He began His public ministry, He was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and for 40 days He did not eat or drink. Again, a miracle. But not only did He fast, He taught about fasting. For example, He taught that Fasting sometimes was necessary in order to heal people, in order to see them released from demon oppression or possession. On one occasion, a man came to the disciples of Jesus. His boy was demon-possessed. The demons would throw the boy into the fire and he would foam at the mouth. And the man wanted him healed and the disciples couldn't do it. Jesus did heal the boy. And then the disciples came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we do it? And in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, verse 29, here's what Jesus said. This kind, speaking of the demons, cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. So that's a brief overview, very brief, of the practice of fasting, especially as it relates to prayer. But back to our question, what is fasting? Simply put, it is saying no to something temporary like food in order to say yes to God's voice calling out to us through His Word. It is a denying of natural desires so that we can be more in tune with the compelling voice and words of God while in prayer. Fasting is never in the Bible intended to force God's hand, to make Him do something that we want Him to do. That's not the kind of God we worship. He does what He wants to do. And what He does is always right. Amen? Always. But it is a better way for us to understand what He wants for us personally, for our church, or for our nation. To give up food or give up some activity that we enjoy in order to give in to God's perfect will is what fasting is really all about. But it seems so foreign to many people today. And yet, it shouldn't be. Because that same 
power that Moses found in fasting or that Daniel or Nehemiah found in fasting or that the Apostle Paul found in fasting is still available to us today. Why? Because the same God that answered Moses' prayers and Nehemiah's and David's and Paul's is the same God today. He hasn't changed. Through fasting and prayer, we can really shut down the natural man's desires and engage the spiritual man's passions for God and the things of God, for His plans and purposes. But it seems a a form of self-denial that's out of touch with modern man. The very first volume of Ripley's Believe It or Not came out in 1929. It had some famous drawings and sketches and then some brief articles about uh, places where Mr. Ripley had been and things that he had seen in his world travels. Most of the information in that early edition was about things that people from Eastern religions would do in order to try to appease their gods, small g. For example, there's a holy man who sat staring up at the sun every day for 15 years, never walked, just sat on the ground and stared at the sun. His legs withered, his skin turned black, and he went blind. There's another holy man who hung upside down every day for three hours a day in the public square. Another man who laid on a bed of nails for 14 years, And yet another man who had his arms suspended over his head for 20 years. All of these men did these things in the public view, at public events, at marketplaces and along busy roads to draw attention to themselves and their religion. And the sight of those things caused Mr. Ripley to write in that first book, Strange is man when he seeks after his gods. But please understand, fasting is not like stretching your arms over your head for 20 years. It's a spiritual exercise that God ordains. Again, it's not commanded for Christians in this age, but it is a spiritual discipline that really is more important probably than ever in history. So secondly, we want to talk about the why and the how. I want to go back to verse 16 just for a second and talk about those hypocrites that Jesus referred to. He says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. He's talking about the Jewish leaders of his day who were pretending to fast who were pretending to be spiritual giants, even in this matter of fasting. It was all about public perception, all about how people would see them, how people would view them. They put on a gloomy face, and they let themselves go as far as their personal hygiene, so that out in public it would look like they'd been fasting for days. Some translations here say that they disfigured their faces. It's an interesting phrase. It literally means, in the Greek, they painted their faces. And most expositors believe they painted their faces with mud. And then they would 
pretend cry, you know, force the tears so that the the mud would kind of mix on their face, and then they'd go out in public and look real gloomy. Oh, I'm oh, I've been fasting. I'm so spiritual. <laughs> Jesus said, "Don't do that. When you fast, you should look like you look any other day." Not to draw attention to yourself. Not to cause people to say, oh, aren't they spiritual? They disfigured their faces so that people in the marketplace would figure that they must be spiritual. Jesus said, I don't want you to do that. Fasting is important. But don't make a spectacle of yourself. In fact, he says, to anoint your head. Which in this context means to use water or oil to comb your hair and make yourself look good. I like how the J.B. Phillips translation of the New Testament puts it. I'll read it to you. Then when you fast, don't look like those miserable play actors, for they deliberately disfigure their faces so that people may see that they are fasting. Believe me, they have their reward, and that's all. When you fast... Brush your hair, wash your face, so that nobody knows that you are fasting. Brush your hair, wash your face. We might also say, put some cologne on. And go out in the the streets of the city and be as happy as you would any other day. Why not be happy? You're communicating with God. You're talking to the, the creator of the universe. Be happy. Another question I want to consider this morning is why should we fast? And the answer in part is because Jesus teaches and models that it is a way to discover the perfect will of God for my life. Jesus began his public ministry by fasting for 40 days. Why fast? Because it shows God we're serious about knowing and doing His will, not ours. We're making our bodies His slaves so that He then can work through us by His power instead of our self-sufficiency. I like to think of fasting as spiritual depth perception. As God, in effect, giving us spiritual glasses that enable us to see further than we've ever seen before. And to see into the heart of God. See into the plans of God. See into the purposes of God. Through the Word of God. He helps us put those glasses on through fasting. When I'm so taken up with how much I need God that I choose to forget that I need food... I demonstrate that His ways are better than mine. His plans for me and my family and my church and my nation and my world are better than my plans. And that's a good way to be, isn't it? It also shows God that I am disciplined enough to set aside normal routines in order to go after spiritual pursuits with zeal and excitement. It proves that I'm so in tune with God that I can tune out the pull of the world. And that's a strong pull, isn't it? We all know that. 
It's a way to humble myself before God. That's why we fast. It's a way to humble myself before God. And I think that's one of the reasons why many believers back away from the discipline of fasting. Psalm 35, verse 13. The psalmist says, But as for me, when the afflicted were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I humbled my soul with fasting. Putting away pride and self-sufficiency makes us more powerful with God. Not through our own strength, but through His power. The British preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, I wonder whether we have ever fasted. I wonder whether it has even occurred to us that we ought to be considering the question of fasting. The fact is that this whole subject seems to have dropped right out of our lives and right out of our whole Christian thinking. And I believe he's right. For many Christians, it's, it's a, a clueless thing. We don't have any idea about fasting. We read about it once in a while if we're reading our Bibles, but it doesn't connect with us today. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this about God. He gives a greater grace. Wouldn't that be awesome to have a greater grace every day of your life? God gives that. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the greater grace that we're talking about. The grace that He gives to the person who says, God, I need you. I don't need food right now. I need you. I also like to think of fasting as spiritual spring cleaning. My mom was a fanatic about spring cleaning. Every year when that time of year would roll around and she could determine that the weather was going to be good for at least a whole day, we would literally take every item that was movable out of the house. It would go outdoors on the lawn. We would spray down things. We would beat rugs. We would uh, wipe things down. And then we'd go in the house and wash ceilings, walls, floors, woodwork, everything. And then late that night, if we still had enough energy, and we would always have to have enough, we'd bring it all back in and put it back in its place. But I really believe that fasting is like spiritual spring cleaning. It's an opportunity for us to get everything right with God through time alone with Him in prayer. The other question today is, how do I fast? And the answers are as varied as the people who ask. How do I fast? Obviously in Scripture, most fasting is uh, referring to ignoring food and focusing on God, spending quality time in prayer. But there are lots of ways and a variety of days to do that. It may be a fast from some activity that then gives us time to focus on God. 
Many of us know that uh, this is the Lenten season in many churches. Lent begins uh, on Ash Wednesday and runs all the way through Easter, 40 days. And many people who are part of that particular spiritual exercise uh, give up something during Lent. Well, um, here are the top ten things that people reported giving up during Lent in 2015, according to Twitter. And of course, Twitter's got to be right, right? I'll give you the list. Chocolate. That'd be a hard one. Fast food, specifically McDonald's. Shopping. Swearing. That's a good one to give up. Complaining. That too. Starbucks. Fortunately, they didn't say Remus. Starbucks. TV, specifically Netflix. Cell phones. And one that really surprised me, Cheetos. <laughs> and then number 10 on the list was exercise. <laughs> Among high school students, guess what the number one thing is they gave up during Lent? School. <laughs> Going to school. Those aren't the things that I'm talking about, okay? Okay. I'm not talking about giving up chocolate as a way of fasting. I'm talking about focusing on God without reference to a meal that's coming up or some event that is about to take place. The most important issue any time of the year is not what you're stopping doing. It's not what you're giving up or even for how long you're going to do it, but why you are doing it. Some people fast one meal. That's okay. Some people fast for a whole day. The Jews of Jesus' day fasted, this is tradition now, they fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays from sunup to sundown. That's fine. Some people fast for a week. Some people fast for 21 days. Some longer. There are all different kinds of fasts. Water only. That's a very severe kind of fast. Some people call that a total fast. Some people do a juice fast. Some people uh, fast from meat and they only have vegetables. Well, the list is long. I'm not going to go over a, a long list. But again, the issue is why we're doing it. Most of us like to eat. Is there anybody here that just doesn't like to eat? I didn't think so. I like to eat dessert first, as most of you know. But I've also had many experiences like at Thanksgiving when I've eaten way too much food. And the next thing that happens, and it probably has happened to you, is I get very sleepy. Well, a tryptophan, I think it is. It's part of the turkey itself. I get very sleepy. I really think our lifestyle choices today in the 21st century make us sleepy to the things of God. And we desperately need God's awakening. And the best way to experience that wake-up call from God is to get alone with Him for a specific amount of time. 
setting aside food or setting aside some other activities and listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in us. It may mean that we need some extended time of prayer right now for our country. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still true. It applied to Israel, but it applies to America, I believe, as well. If my people, that's Christian people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's pretty important. Our society today is rampant when it comes to sin. We need God to heal our land. We need God to forgive us of our sin. We often sing that praise chorus, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and worship Him. And that's exactly what fasting does for us. It allows us to forget about ourselves. Forget about the fact that lunch is coming up here in just a few minutes. And instead to focus on God. It may be that we choose a certain day when our schedule is less full. Or we fast on specific days. Days in the calendar. As I said, the Jews of Jesus' day fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Historians tell us that many people in the early church, particularly in Jerusalem, fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays so that they wouldn't be confused with the Jews who practiced it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But again, the issue isn't time on the clock or a day on the calendar. It's the why. The why. I want to share a passage of Scripture with you from Isaiah chapter 58. God is speaking to the people of Israel about fasting, and they had been doing it all wrong, for all the wrong reasons. And here's what God says to them, starting in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? And then He spells it out. To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of yoke of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and He will say, Here I am. Who wouldn't want to have God say to you, Here I am. I'm ready to help you. I'm ready to empower you. I'm ready to bless you as a person, as a church, as a nation. Yes, there are reasons why we should fast. It could be a specific kind of fast. Like Daniel in the book of Daniel who refused to eat the king's delicacies and drink the king's wine and he had just vegetables and water. How often we do it, whatever form it may take, our purpose should be to get our eyes off of the things of the world and the circumstances around us that distract us 
and put them fully on God. I read this passage the other day and it really spoke to me. Second Chronicles 20, verses 3 and 12. The people of Israel were about to be attacked by the Moabites along with the Ammonites. And they were afraid. And their king, Jehoshaphat, was afraid. Verse 3, And he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And as he prayed to God, here's part of his prayer in verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. (laughs) I really think fasting would help us get our eyes on Him more and more and less on the problems around us. We need to be fasting. That's where the happy face comes from. The, the combed hair, the cologne, whatever. That's where the happy face comes from. Knowing that we've spent time in fasting and prayer. No matter how difficult the circumstances we face, or all of God's people face, no matter how difficult things get in America, there's always that opportunity and that privilege of coming to God in prayer and fasting. But we've got to be careful not to let the things of the world turn our eyes away from God or sidetrack us from doing His will, His way. I want to share a little story as we close. It's a story about an old-time king and his young boy courier, messenger, pager. The king found out there was a man in that town who was in prison and he decided to pardon him so he handed the scroll on which he had written this detailed pardon to this young boy and told him you take it to the prison and hurry in the scroll the king wrote these words in the prison across town there is a man who is going to be hanged today I have decided to pardon him The young boy, the courier, was so excited to help the king. He hadn't had a message to to carry in a long time, and so off he went with the scroll. On his way through town, he passed by a clothing store. And he thought, this man's getting out of prison. He's going to need a suit of clothes. So he stopped in at the clothing store and ordered a, a splendid outfit for this man so he'd have clothes and shoes to wear when he got out of jail. It took a while, of course, for all of that. But when he got the suit of clothes, he went on down the street and came by a restaurant. And he thought, you know, this man's going to need something to eat. All he's had is prison food for all of this time. He's no doubt hungry. So he waited for the restaurant to make a meal for the prisoner. When he got to the jailer's office at the prison, he handed him the scroll. It had been sealed with the king's signet. The the, the jailer opened the scroll, unrolled it, and began to read. In the prison, there's a man who's going to be hanged today. I have decided to pardon him. The jailer began to cry. 
He said, son, we just hanged that man five minutes ago. The young boy began to cry. As he slowly walked back down the street toward the palace, he kept saying to himself again and again and again, what is the king going to say? You know, I really think, this is my opinion, that we are so sidetracked by even some good things that we fail to really get alone with God and find out what the king is going to say to you and me. Our king is coming again soon. But before he comes, he longs to see a mighty awakening among his people, a stirring in our churches and in our nation. So let's not be distracted by the things around us. Not be distracted from that awakening by otherwise possibly good pursuits if God is calling us to fast and pray. Because one day, it'll be too late to fast. Too late to pray. Too late to humble ourselves before God. So let's ask Him now to fill us to the full with His power. And let's determine that in the strength of the Lord, we're going to humble ourselves, empty ourselves, and begin feeding on the bread of life and the living water that is Jesus Himself. We're going to close the service this morning with a song that is really a prayer. It's an old song, but it has some great words. Fill my cup, Lord. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Would you please stand and sing it with me? And I trust it will be your prayer today as we close this service. Like a woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well, it never shall run dry Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. There are millions in this world who are craving the pleasures earthly things afford. But none can match the wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ my Lord. Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. 
bread of heaven, feed me till I want to know more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Oh, I trust that really is your prayer today. So we get ready to head out these doors and have lunch. <laughs> Let's think about uh, the practice of fasting. It may not be for everyone. It may not be uh, something you're going to do today. But be thinking about that, Gloria. Sharon Sayat called me this morning and her old electrician is maybe some of you know him his name is Doug Moyle and he's been in the hospital for 10 days because he has a bleed in his brain and they can't figure out where it's coming mm-hmm. from and everybody in his church is praying and fasting for him they wanted us to know about that and pray for him too and maybe fast yeah right let's pray for Doug right now Lord, You know the situation he's facing. You know what kind of difficulty he's in with this brain bleed. And we pray for Your perfect will to be done in his life and in his body. Thank You that we can pray for him and lift him up to You. Maybe that You'll stir someone in our congregation to even skip a meal today or this week to remember Doug in prayer. Lord, we thank You for the gift of prayer and that through fasting we can draw close to You and see You awaken in us a deeper love for You and a greater commitment to Your plan and purpose. And we pray that for Doug today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have a wonderful week. Sure. You can have a seat. That almost be long. I know, uh...